Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. Today I'm coming at you with a solo episode and I'm going to dive deep into the subject of commitment. Now, not just commitment, in the sense of committed romantic relationships, but actually the fear of commitment and not just the fear of commitment from other people, like being in relationship with people who are afraid of commitment, but also us ourselves and our fear of commitment, where this comes from. And we're going to focus on a story I'm going to share about my own life that looks at how a fear of commitment can pathologize, but also looking at taking this subject that we're going to explore and extrapolating it to every area of your life. Your fear to commit to a dream, to a possibility, to a relationship, to your purpose, to a goal. All of these are the exact same process, actually. And that's why I think being able to understand what lives at the basis of our fears of commitment can allow us to become more committed people, more disciplined, more discerning, it can allow us to move forward and create things we never thought were possible but always desired. So if there's any part of you that sabotages, that um, chooses people who are afraid of commitment, find yourself keeping, that you keep being gravitated towards that, that you yourself are running from people would like to have a relationship with or you just can't label why you can't be with them. I want to get into that because I think if we look at this from a psychological level, yes, there's a, a fear that lives at the basis of not being able to come into things. But if we look at this from a spiritual perspective too, there's an invitation to the evolution of your soul that you're being called towards something to complete a mission. And that mission can be commitment. That mission can be a goal you want to achieve. But it, it's not just achieving a goal like let's say you want to get a certain body fat percentage or you want to quit a certain food or you want to quit smoking. It's that through doing something that can even seem small, like a commitment like making your bed every day, you actually get to see who you are. You get to build a level of self-trust. That there's a deeper knowing within yourself that you've got you always, 
always, always, always, and in all ways. So I'm going to tell you a story. Now, it's a funny story. Now, it's not going to sound funny, like, at first, trust me, because it was fucking hard. It's one of the worst, one of the most painful experiences I've ever had in my life, but also the greatest teacher. The greatest teacher for something that was a blind spot for me that I wouldn't even discover till years later was a blind spot. And when I say years later, I mean, it was about 15 years after this event occurred in a relationship that I discovered it had been living in my unconscious for 15 years. So I hope that through me sharing this story, which is also filled with some (laughs) great experiences, uh, you will learn something about yourself and where you limit yourself and, and you don't allow yourself to commit to things or move towards possibilities for you. So when I was 19 years old, I was dating a woman who got a scholarship to go to the States to play a sport. And I say that to go to the States because that was very significant. We were living in Canada at the time in Calgary. And, you know, we had been together about a year and a bit, I think 14 months or something like that when she left or when she was going. And it was probably June and we were, you know, having that conversation of like, what is that going to look like when you go, you know? what are we going to look like? So we had a conversation and we came to the agreement that we'd be able to see other people. We'd just tell each other if we started to. Now, I know what you're probably thinking as you hear this or you're watching this, like, oh, that, that probably doesn't, that's probably not going to go well. Yeah, and, yeah, and you might be onto something here, but when you're in it, you don't see it. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're in it, you're like, this is the best idea for right now. Even though in your body you're like, I don't know about, are you sure you want to do this? You know, that kind of feeling. But yet that was the agreement we made. And you know what? In hindsight, you learn a lot of things. Let's just follow me through uh, the present moment right now at 19. So she goes away in July or beginning of August. I go visit her uh, mid-August, something like that. Have a great time. I come back. And I remember I'm at work. I was working at like the Best Buy of Canada. It's called Future Shop. He was like the 40-year-old virgin there. I'm not going to lie. It was funny. It was like we sold extended warranties, war suits. We were cheesy salespeople. But I'm sitting at a computer and I'm looking up like, how do you get a visa in the US? Like, how do I move there? Can I change schools? Can I join that school mid, you know, mid-year? Because I'm thinking, I just want to be with her. You know, when you're young, you think like, as soon as you're in a relationship in grade eight, you're like, I'm going to marry this person. Or maybe it's just, I was really naive. And that's the way I thought. But a lot of people I knew when you entered that commitment, you're like, well, I guess there's no choice. Like, this is just it. Which is also a flaw to our thinking in terms of relationship. Because we're just taught, find someone, get into a relationship with them. And I guess you're just going to marry them. And that's it. Like, you made a choice. And that's commitment. And you can't unchoose it. And so we often enter with that level of (laughs) commitment uh, to our own faults sometimes, right? Because we do that without being committed to our own selves and our own values and, and hey, man, live and learn. So I'm telling her this stuff that I'm excited to potentially, like, maybe I could go down there. And she's like, yeah. And, you know, the real hard part was that everything around me reminded me of her. And yet nothing around her reminded her of me. And I just remember understanding that. I remember thinking, well, everything is new to her. And she's like a celebrity, you know, 
in this, when you're a college athlete, you're like a celebrity in your area. And so she's experiencing all this newness and novelty. And here I am just thinking about her, pining over her, missing her, listening to frickin' Usher. You got a bad boys to men, man. I think Water Runs Dry was coming out at the time. End of the Road was the one, though, that, you know, that one always gets you. So she comes back in beginning of October for Canadian Thanksgiving. And she has a really good friend who's also down there. So she comes back too. And they bring a friend. And the friend, he is, just to give you some context, might be a relevant piece of information. He is built like Adonis. He is giant. And he is, I think, the running back for the football team. So I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that seems cool. That's great. I could see a friend of your friend. Oh, he's a friend of both of ours. Oh, awesome. And he, oh, why is he coming? Oh, he wants to just see what Canadian Thanksgiving's all about. Let me just clarify things for you. People who don't know about Canadian Thanksgiving, or if you're American, it's the exact same thing as American Thanksgiving. Basically, we just don't have a sale after, and it's in October. That way, you know, they don't mess with Christmas. It's like a nice space between. You got the, uh, Halloween right in there. That'll come into play. So she comes back and I'm at Thanksgiving dinner at her house. And I remember, I'll never forget, I'm sitting down. He is sit, he's sitting across from me. She's sitting here, you know, to my right. And then her mom and her stepdad are to my left. And I remember as I'm just sitting there eating my fucking potatoes or whatever I was eating, thinking like, there's something going on here. Like, there's something happening here. Like, there's a connection. Now, if you were a man, this is going to be foresight, but if you were a human with boundaries, you you'd probably would have started to be out of there at that point. You know, throw the table. You're like, well, I'm done with the near. Maybe not throw the table. But, you know, you'd be like, oh, this isn't feeling good. And I sat there eating stuffing. And my memory of that night is I'm at the bottom of the stairs of their house and I'm saying goodbye to her and my my vision is blurry. My sight's blurry because I'm crying. And I say to her, like, is, is this how you tell me? And she essentially says yes. So I get in my car and, you know, back then I didn't have great emotional regulation. So I probably, I probably just drove faster, or like shifted harder because I was so upset. And I honestly, I left there different. I left there different. I'd experienced a couple betrayals, but this one was like somehow just cut much differently, deeper. And maybe because after a first betrayal when I was younger, I still believed in people. I still trusted them that they wouldn't do that to me or to us or to whatever my narrative was. Now, most people, when they hear this story, the first response is, I can't believe she did that. And they might use an ex- expletive or a, a judgment of her character. And although when I was angry and upset, it was hard for me to not have you know thoughts of how deeply betraying that was and, and just like extremely painful. But I want to point something to you that is maybe one of the most important lessons of this story. And that is that external betrayals, 
almost always occur after giant internal betrayals. And my giant internal betrayal that led to that dinner that I never should have been at was that I never wanted to see other people. I never wanted to open our relationship. And you know, I really should have gotten, if that wasn't the first sign that I abandoned myself in that agreement. So it wasn't me now at the dinner, it's the abandoned version of me, right? Like, think about that. My soul's going, but you're not honoring yourself. Like, why are we saying yes to this? This isn't going to go well. But of course, my soul's like, well, this lesson will come anyways, so we might as well get it so we can move forward with some boundaries and, and staying in alignment with our values and ourself and that we don't compromise ourself in order to maintain a connection that isn't actually even the type of connection I desire because it's not based on the agreements that are actually from the essence of myself. They're the people-pleasing, not wanting to experience the hurt version of myself, not wanting the relationship to end for you know the myriad of reasons, one including that it's painful, but you know not being able to say goodbye to somebody when it was time to say goodbye to them. And then instead of doing it consciously and mindfully, you know, at that time of conversation, had I known how to honor myself, I didn't know how to, that I wouldn't have been in that place. And, you know, I, it, we were doing the best her and I could do at the time. We were doing the best we could do. We came up with the agreement that was best for us. I'm going to guess... I don't know this to be true, but it was likely she also abandoned herself in that compromised agreement, right? So both of us are two people who forewent what we truly wanted for fear of disappointing one another or losing one another, and then ended up doing exactly that through perceivably more painful circumstances that probably elicited more shame and embarrassment for both sides of us. If you haven't heard me talk about Cozy Earth Sheets before, let me tell you, I'm about to introduce you to the greatest sheets you will ever have touch your body. Anytime someone comes to our house and stays in our guest room, they always want to know what is the bed situation? What are the sheets that we have? Their sheets, their comforters, their duvets, everything is magic. Their bedding is naturally breathable. It's temperature regulating. It's so damn soft. It's ethically sourced viscose from bamboo. It's incredible. And the brand was featured on Oprah's favorite thing but before that, it was featured on Mark's favorite things. Like, I discovered this brand years ago before I ever even chatted with them about being a sponsor for the podcast. And because I love their product so much, I asked for an exclusive offer for you and you get 40% off site-wide. And now they have pajamas. They have like loungewear. So not only do you get to wrap yourself in the experience of the sheets as clothing, but you then get to get into the bed in that. So you're like double wrapped. And so all you got to do to save 40% off site-wide is use the code GROVES at checkout. So just my last name, G-R-O-V-E-S. So go to CozyEarth.com. C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H dot com and use the code Groves and you get 40% off all their products. Now, I left that dinner, I said, forever changed. I didn't tell everybody about what happened because it's so embarrassing, right? Like, it's so embarrassing. But shortly thereafter is Halloween and I think Halloween is a poorly timed uh, holiday celebration if you're going through a breakup. Because there's, let's be honest, there's a lot of debauchery happening. There's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of circulating sexual energy. 
<laughs> those are all great if you're looking for that. If you're heartbroken, not great. And, you know, one thing that happened when I left that house is that I unconsciously made that experience mean that monogamy leads to pain, that monogamy leads to suffering, that monogamy leads to betrayal. You know, growing up playing on sports teams, often in the locker room are conversations about the BJ, somebody God, or, you know, sexual conquests. You know, not always, but often. You know, there's not like a dude in there who's like, hey man, like my girlfriend and I, we just dove deeper into intimacy and like navigate a conflict on a deeper level, like never done that. And it's just amazing. You know, that's often, that's never been the conversation. Maybe now we could do that, but not happening, right? And that's a whole other problem, of course. You know, we could get into the issues with logarum and male culture and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but let's get this story told. So it's Halloween. I get dressed up as a newsie. I go out with a couple of my best friends and we go to this bar. And to give you some context, at this point, I've kissed like five women in my life. I'm 19 or 20. And I'm, I'm very monogamous. But as I said, my narrative about monogamy is like, goodbye monogamy, you just led to total heartbreak. I'm devastated. You don't work. So I'm going the other way. So I make out with some chicks on the dance floor. Never done that in my life. That was fun, fantastic. And I bring a girl home. Now listen, if you've never had a one night stand and you're thinking about having one, there are a lot of ways to have mindful. You can do that mindfully for the most part. But that's, a, again, another podcast. But here's a first rule of thumb. Don't bring them to your parents' house. Right? That's a pretty logical, good rule of thumb. But I bring a woman dressed like the devil. The irony is not lost upon me. Very nice woman. Bring her to my parents' house. And I'm, you know, mate, we're making out. All systems are go. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to do all these amazing things. It's going to be wonderful. I'm talking all the talk. And then I can't get a boner. I can't get an erection. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I'm kind of like a pilot on a plane, like tabbing the fuel gauge, clicking, you know, like all systems are go. What's happening here? Wait, what? What? Not working. But that's never happened to me. That makes no sense. Like, what's wrong with me? And, you know, often in that experience, the other person takes it personally, et cetera, et cetera. So nothing happens, you know, in that department. So after that happens, I mean, gosh, I'm like, talk about shame. I have so much shame. I can't get a boner now. I'm heartbroken. I'm in the deepest grief I've ever been in in my life. And what I don't realize, because there wasn't a lot of conversation about how grief can impact the body, is that my body was literally saying, you're not safe to be intimate with people. Like, you can Especially think about when intimacy leads to betrayal and you haven't processed the betrayal, that means that unconsciously your body's going, but this is just going to go to betrayal. This is just going to go to betrayal. I haven't built the tools yet, the boundaries and the communication to be able to trust myself in intimacy. But here I am trying to thrust, pun intended, myself into intimacy. Do you see that? I wrote an article years ago. We'll put the link in the show notes called Why You Really Can't Get Hard. And it was about 
if you're someone, and it, you don't have to be a dude for this to be true, but our own internal compass, our moral compass is saying this is not aligned. And a general rule everyone should have, if you want to have it, is that if you can't do something sober, you shouldn't do it at all. Well, here's what I did, though. I learned that if I could drink more pints, I could get rid of my value system, that I could numb myself and be in intimate circumstances. But that wasn't a healthy way of processing that. It took me a long time to even figure that out, that I shouldn't be doing that. I ended up, I remember when I was a pharmaceutical rep talking to one of the doctors, and he said that one of the main reasons he wrote prescriptions for things like Viagra or Cialis was for new partner anxiety, that people get anxiety when they enter into new partnership now the, and, and get performance anxiety about that. If you think about it, when men experience performance anxiety or moral issues in terms of the position they're putting their body in, it's very obvious. It can show up very explicitly, right? Can't get an erection. For a woman, if they are putting themselves in circumstances that they don't want to be in, that that can show up perhaps as not being able to get aroused or as vaginal dryness. And there's products for that. You know, it's so interesting that I think often, not always, the symptoms that are coming forward are actually saying, pay attention to me. Something's unresolved or this isn't good for us, or we need time to heal, or whatever it is. We actually just bulldoze right through, and there's actually products to help us do that. You think about how we have all these ways so that we don't have to feel. And when I say these unprocessed experiences of things like betrayal, or grief, or loss, or heartbreak, or whatever you want to label as being the thing you've been through relationally, being abandoned, being let down, feeling not safe, not understood, that like as we look through our past, as we explore and identify these moments in our lives that were significant but have not been fully learned from, we wonder why we're avoiding moments today. At the basis of the fear of commitment is the fear of the commitment leading to something, right? Like I'm going to be afraid of it if there's something that I associate with it that is in the future. Do you see that? So if we're afraid of commitment, we're afraid of an outcome because we've likely experienced that type of outcome before, that type of emotion before, and we don't want to get it again. So for me, when I left that experience, I made it meet a lot of things about relationship. Not realizing that if I put myself in the driver's seat of being able to witness that experience, be able to learn from it, I could find myself almost 0% likely to ever be in a circumstance like that again. Because self-betrayals lead to external betrayals. Now there's four sentences that I have people finish when they want to look at their upper limits in terms of love. So we're going to look at their two sentence structures that have different endings. You ready? And I want you, if you're not driving, I want you to close your eyes and I just want you to finish these sentences for me. Ready? When I love people, they. When I love people, they. When I love people, I. When I let people love me, they. 
when I let people love me, I. Now for me, when I love people, I abandon myself, forget about myself, give up on me, let go of what's important to me. When I let people love me, they betray me. They lie to me, they hurt me. I give you different structures of those sentences so that you can find one that helps you unlock the thing you're afraid of, to let you finish that sentence in a way that you're like, ah. Now, most of us spend our lives trying to avoid that upper limit. That upper limit, I mean, is the pain that is beyond the level that we're willing to tolerate in relationships. So if I think that when I get into commitment, I get betrayed, what I'll do is I'll control the depth of commitment. It'll show up as avoidance, right? So I might, I might doing all the research, oh, I'm avoidantly attached. Oh, well, what's at the core of my avoidance? It's that people are going to let me down, you know, they're not reliable, right? Again, coming back to the, to the frameworks that allow us to see the different patterns that show up in relationship so that we can change the pattern. But what happens is, is my avoidant behaviors, my sabotage, the people I pick, the one-night stands I have, they are all because I don't want to touch this thing again that really hurt. Now, here's the interesting thing. If I was to sit down and really explore the circumstances that led to that dinner, I would have learned that I abandoned myself and that I need boundaries and to learn how to self-express, which would mean that I wouldn't end up in circumstances like that. But if I don't develop the skills that are found in the wisdom of the pain of the experience, then I can't get everything from it. I can't use the material, as we might say in the conversation about alchemy. I can't take the material that life is giving me and work with it and create some gold. When painful memories are still really painful, it's often because we haven't sat with and learned from the experience. So that mindset shift, which I've talked about before, is like, I can't believe that happened to me, to how did that happen for me, right? That's such a simple shift. We hear that a lot in the personal growth space. That shift, remember, moving from victim to being in, in responsibility and in charge and in discernment and in choice is not the negating of the experience of victimization. It's not saying there can't be painful things that happen to us. I'm not bypassing or gaslighting that that dinner sucked. But I'm saying, if it was in service of my evolution, what is it teaching me? Remember, at the basis of your fear of commitment is the fear of creating circumstances again that you do not want to get to, not seeing that the place that you most want to go towards love, depth, connection, intimacy is the same place where your greatest fear exists. So that's why we have to be able to confront the fear because it's in the same direction. And left unconfronted, we'll keep doing weaves and we'll keep picking the wrong people. Now, here's how that comes back, though, to being able to trust ourselves in choices. And remember, I said, I want you to extrapolate what I'm teaching you to every area of your life. Now, let's look at if I'm trying to pick a partner and I just don't seem to be drawn to people who want to commit. Interesting. And when they do want to come in, I'm like, and like, I'm not sure about that person. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. The holidays are almost here, which 
means for some of us, the seasonal blues can be coming up. Now, you might be worried about family interactions. Maybe you're dreading the possibility of having some conversations. Maybe you're also worried about finances and gifts and all the other things that can come up during the holiday season. Well, you're definitely not alone, and feeling sad and anxious about it is completely normal. The good news is that there is help and support available. Therapy can be a positive bright light that can help with all the stress and the swirling thoughts and the anxiety about what could possibly happen, and it can also give you the tools to manage everything that you have going on. Personally, for me, therapy has really helped me work through some of the toughest points in my life and given me a boost that I needed to break through the blocks and reconnect with myself and my truth again. It's been a light in the dark times, that's for sure. So if you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's totally virtual, it's convenient, and it fits in easily with your busy holiday schedule. To get started, you can fill out a brief questionnaire, and BetterHelp will match you with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this holiday season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Groves today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Groves. Okay, here's an interesting thing. If I can't trust myself and I don't know that I'm committed to myself, that I honor my own commitments and my own word, how can I trust myself in choices in other people? If I don't keep these small promises to myself that seem insignificant, so if you're like, hey, I'm going to go for a walk tomorrow and you don't do it, or hey, I'm going to go to bed by this time, or hey, I'm going to stop using my phone as much, or hey, I'm going to, I'm feeling called to quit drinking, or I'm feeling, if you don't listen to that and actually move towards it, you can't trust yourself, right? Like, it seems like it's not really a big deal. Like, no one else will know. I'm just not going to go for a walk later, even though I promised myself or made a commitment that I would. But you know, and that's actually at the basis of your own integrity. If you want a liberating life, if you want a life that feels light, free, easy, which is not synonymous with a lack of struggle and suffering, but if you want to feel light, get into alignment. If you want your life to feel better, get into integrity. You want to be able to commit to things and commit to people. You have to commit to your values. You have to commit to being who you truly are. That will transcend into everything in your fucking life. I had to drop an F sharp there because this is so important. If you want to be able to commit to people, to goals, to possibilities, you have to be able to trust yourself. And the only way you become trustworthy of yourself is by keeping your word with yourself. If you've never read The Four Agreements, must read. And one of the agreements in there is what other people think of you is none of your business. And I've shared about this, that your capacity to be a good leader, to be in healthy relationships, will be directly correlated to your capacity to be disliked. You have to be willing to ruffle feathers in order to live the life you desire. You have to be willing to disappoint others in order to maintain peace within your own body. Now, the first response to that often is, that sounds like a selfish life. If you have never prioritized yourself and you constantly people please and take care of other people so that you're not seen as selfish, that will be instantly where you want to go the moment you prioritize yourself and you'll even have people around you who are like, that sounds like a pretty selfish life. But let me ask you a very simple question. If I said to you, 
hey, do you want to be in a relationship where you and I bring each other alive? Like, we, our whole job through relationship is actually to help each other become more individually powerful and alive. See, people are afraid of a partner being powerful when they see power as being a way to manipulate. People are afraid of seeing their partner as powerful if they're afraid that the partner will get powerful and move away from them. Because they live in a scarce world where if their partner has power, it means they don't. But I'm telling you, why not create a relationship where through the relationship, both individuals are actually elevated. And that means that the relationship itself is elevated. This is interdependency. This is what it means to be liberated in love. This is what Kylie and I's new book is about, which please go buy a copy, liberated-love.com. It comes out in April and buying the book is so supportive of us. But that's what it's about. It's like using relationship as a vehicle for healing and expansion and liberation. And I'm saying if you want to get towards the goals you have and the relationship you desire, then you better get clear with where you don't keep your commitments to yourself and where you still have unresolved and unnavigated pains that live beyond commitments you've made in the past. The relationship in life you want to create will only come when you can actually build the capacity to receive it. And the way to build the capacity to receive it is to develop a deeper sense of trust and knowing with yourself to go more deeply within you so that you can bring more of you to the world so you can walk more deeply with another in relationship but also in the path to your own purpose. It's all the same stuff. And I'm here to tell you, you can create that. And I'm excited for you to create that. I hope that through sharing the story of my own suffering through that betrayal, that you can help see where you betray yourself, where you can see where you are afraid of commitment and how the experiences of your past might show up for you today. I hope that my failed one night stand teaches you where your body is actually telling you things that you put yourself in circumstances that it doesn't want you to put yourself in. That maybe when you look in hindsight, some of the challenges you had being intimate or getting close to people were actually challenges with emotional safety and that you were still processing grief or maybe you weren't ready for that moment yet. I want to close up with something that woke me up to all of this and that's that I had this call with a woman named Kelly Marceau who's a writer. And she said to me, you know, this is after I wrote an article that went viral and we connected through it. And she said to me, you know, Groves? And I was like, Groves, oh, that's interesting. Like, I don't, we just meant. And she was like, have you ever actually let a woman love you? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> of course I have. And then I got off the call and I'm like, yet. I was 34 when she told me that when she said that to me. And it all of a sudden made all my avoidance make sense for 15 years. And remember, in that time, I'd been in two very significant relationships, a five and a half year one, got engaged. I was in another two, one and a half, two year relationship that was very significant. I wondered why I ran from women who could love me and towards ones who were maybe just not ready or were just maybe fresh out of relationships. Again, none of it is anyone's fault or a judgment on anyone's circumstances at the time, just like it's not a judgment on my own, but rather that it all finally made sense. 
I had to let a woman love me because I was afraid of being loved because if I let someone love me, they would potentially devastate me, hurt me, betray me. And I wouldn't know how to come back from that again. And because I hadn't gone deeply into it and come out of it, I didn't know I could do it. And so I made the journey of stepping into availability and going into that pain so that I could walk out of it stronger, knowing that if anything like that ever happened again, I would have the tools to walk out of it. And so here's to you, developing those tools, walking those tools, so that you can trust yourself in commitment, in relationship, in life, and in all the choices you make. Much love. Much love.